to the Equestrian Experience, a show where elite and up-and-coming riders talk about what happens behind the rosettes and what we've tried so that you don't have to. In a world first, we and our guests will be openly sharing what we know from our extensive equestrian experience. This includes our exclusive access to our global experts, such as Hyperform, our national vets, coaches, farriers, and even brands. If you're new here, consider subscribing. We're your hosts, Amanda Ross and Bex Mason, and today we're talking about ourselves including why we wanted to share our experience with you and a little bit about our Australian and British similarities and differences. So welcome, Bex. This is our very first podcast together, and I must say I'm super excited about making this a regular thing and chatting to you. Hi, Amanda. I'm so excited to be co-hosting this with you, the amazing Amanda Ross. So my name's Bex Mason. I'm a Grand Prix show jumper from Gloucestershire in England, and I'm really looking forward to sharing our knowledge and our tips over the coming episodes. So just a little bit of background on both of us. So I'm from Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and you're, as you said, Gloucestershire in the UK. Um, and I've had a little bit to do with the UK and I absolutely love England. Um, I've gone over there a few times uh, through my eventing and competed over there as well. And I must say, it is just the mecca of horse competition, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. I'm so lucky and so privileged to be coming from this part of the world. Um, but myself, I've come to Australia like four times now because I'm lucky enough that my sister lives in Australia. But I haven't actually been to Victoria, where you are from, Amanda. So I, have to, I would love to live in Australia. The biggest difference for me is the weather. I mean, you have amazing summers, <laughs> your horses live out for longer, um, you always have a suntan, um, yeah, it's just a nice <laughs> way of living for the horses. Um, we're constantly, I'm constantly dreaming of an indoor arena, nine months of the year, to be honest, and having to wear layers of coats, none of which are waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> That is totally the way it is, isn't it? Well, I must say that if you come to Melbourne, we are the bottom of Australia. Well, even further down the bottom is Tasmania. But Melbourne is notorious for having like four seasons in one day. And like, I don't know if I can show you my weather from here. It's kind of like, I mean, that actually probably makes it look really nice. Um, it's been it raining really and nice. it's been really, really cold. And the the horses are all stabled at night and the paddocks are starting to get muddy. So I know it's definitely much warmer than the UK when it is warmer, but at the moment, I think in all of the Australian um, states, we uh, we cop the weather and everyone whinges about it. Oh, but that's the story of our lives in England. The horses are stabled pretty much all the time. <laughs> I love the out as much as possible, but, you know, an hour a day sometimes is all they can get because the, the fields get mm -hmm. trashed. You've got to look after your fields. And then when it does, the grass mm -hmm. does grow, it grows in such extremes that then people have problems with like grass colic. Um, it goes from like one extreme to another from, from that point of view. Um, although saying that we're going, we've got beautiful weather here in England at the moment. It is our summer and it's very early in the morning for me recording this podcast, 7.25 and it's 22 degrees. Boom. Oh my God. Well, that, I'm actually very envious of your, of your beautiful weather at the moment. But um, I was just thinking that leads us to probably like quite a, uh, can be a very funny topic, which is the differences between 
um, Australian and English, even horse language, but also you were just saying how the horses are often stabled, you know, 23 hours out of 24. Um, I know when I went over to the UK, there were things that I really had to get used to. Um, but yeah, so let's start with, should we start with like, the stabling? So as you were saying, um, like for mine in summer, so at the end of the competition season, which is sort of December, so maybe sort of end of November, mine can live out 24-7 and then I bring them in um, probably March and that's because I stable them under lights and make sure that their coats are amazing and they're really healthy, but they could actually live out 24-7. So could you do that if you wanted to? Oh, hell no, definitely not. We we definitely can't do that. Well, one, you know, it's it's managing that you don't know what you're going to get in England with the weather. And um, the horses generally are used to being stabled more. I mean, even when we kind of go to competitions, right. that's one thing I noticed about Australia when I went over there and went to some of the horse shows, it blew my mind mm-hmm. that you have kind of like cages that you put the horses in. Um, which in, I was like, these are like cattle cages. How do your horses not kill each other? Um, and you get proper stables. Yeah. And even then, you still occasionally have a horse kicking through to the horse next door, trying to get over the top. Um, it's almost like yes. the horse in Australia are more relaxed. Like, what? Like relaxed? They're like Australian horses. They're like chilled out about the show environment. Whereas ours are, have to have a good stable that is super secure because otherwise they just cause mischief and endangering themselves. As we all know, horses like to yeah. um, are the best farmers anyway. <laughs> so tell me, Amanda, like in Australia, with the weather being so amazing and hot all the time, um, do you struggle when you're at shows with the surfaces? Um, do you have a lot of places that you can go which they jump on good surfaces or is a lot of it on grass? And tell me more about like your competition, your competition vibe. Okay, so particularly in the show jumping, um, the show jumping side of it has really turned to fibre surfaces or good grass surfaces. And the one thing I've noticed in Australia over the last maybe five years is that the committees are now super protective of their grass surfaces and they put an awful lot of time and effort into producing the best possible surface that they can. Um, and we have some amazing venues now that have all weather surfaces and can run, you know, all throughout the year. So that's really amazing. The grass surface people don't tend to run over winter, again, because they want to keep those surfaces being really good quality. Um, but the eventing side of it is really difficult. And the one thing that all the Australian eventers say Um, I was very fussy about where I ran my horses and if I wanted to run them and the ground was hard, I would run them quite slowly. And we do realise that if if British riders came to Australia, they probably wouldn't even run their horses on our hard ground. But then likely if I went to the UK and saw that mud, I'd be like, oh, no. So it's it's what you're used to. It totally is what you're used to, isn't it? And what you're used to, what riding on, what your horses are used to. Um, but, I mean, I think we're all so much more aware now of how the ground can affect the horse's longevity and protect it from injury. Oh. So I think, you know, we really look after them. Um, I think there's a, a, like, if a horse lands from a 130 fence, they put something like 2.6 times their body weight through the front limbs. And I just find that absolutely mm. fascinating. So if we're jumping, like, 130s or above... I mean, the amount of pressure that goes through the front legs, it just shows, you know, it's so important that we are jumping them on the right surfaces. And that's why, you know, I'm absolutely blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we've got got so many venues all probably within an hour to two hours from me 
which have multiple mm. arenas, like the David Broom Event Centre at Wales and West. Um, we've got so many good mm. venues and with good surfaces. So we're very, very lucky. But then I think it goes a bit the other way mm. that they we're losing the grass, the great grass arenas and people start to get mm. a bit too mm-hmm. precious. Um, so like we have the famous Hickstead Derby. I mean, that arena is one of the best in the world. It's incredible. And I've been there. Going, Amazing. Hey, isn't it just? <laughs> isn't it just? Did you the bank is massive. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go did you go to watch the Hickstead Derby there? I think I went to one of the saddleries that was there. Is it um is it Kate Negus Saddlery? And uh, I just basically went for a walk around the main arena. So it wasn't a competition there, but I actually got to walk around and see that massive bank. I snuck in there and um, and look at the Devil's Dyke. And it was just like we don't have anything like that over here. Um, but obviously, you know, we've been watching it since I was a kid. And, yeah, to see it firsthand, was, it was pretty exciting. Oh, it's insane, isn't it? I mean, the, what you see on TV never actually does it justice. When you actually go and stand at the bottom of that bank no. or stand on the top of the bank and look down, and then to think you're going to be on top oh, of a so horse, steep. even yeah, even higher up, it's unbelievable, I, unbelievable. That is on my dream wish list to be able to tick off to one day do the Hickshead Derby. Oh, really? Absolute yeah. ultimate. Then I know I've made it. I just need to get through the start and the finish. I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone would be happy getting through the finish of the Hickstead Derby. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say to you, so I know that your competitions have different names to ours. So over here, we used to have grades, which was A, B, C and D grade. This is talking about show jumping. Um, But now they're in height classes. So it's like, you know, 95, 105, you know, 120, whatever. Um, We've obviously also got – uh, mini pre, Grand Prix, Futurities and World Cups. But you have things like fox hunters. So what's the go with a – what's a fox hunter? Oh, so we have – yeah, we it starts off actually at the British novice would be the – well, mm-hmm. if I'm – years ago it, it started at Newcomer's Height and they've only brought in the British novice. I wouldn't like to say exactly when, but I would say maybe – 20, 30 years ago, they brought in the British Novice and the Discovery mm-hmm. to encourage more people to come into the sport. Um, and it all ranges with horses and their points. So if you have a horse that's, say, one under 195 points, I think it is for British Novice, you might have to correct me on that, but you can you you jump your double clears. Once you've got your four double clears, you then go it through to the regional finals. And in the regional finals, you jump a triple clear, mm-hmm. and that takes you to the championships. Um, that works oh. for the for the British novice and the discovery. So it's a great it's a great way of introducing the young horses to like a championship show. Um the mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. one the newcomers, which starts at a meter ten, and you do the same. You get your four double clears and then this qualifies you for the second rounds. And then in the second rounds you have to come in the top two, which this was sorry, pre COVID, it was the top two, to then qualify for horse of the year show. And these are really prestigious mm-hmm. classes. Um, that along with the Fox Hunter, which was the the original, you know, the original, if you went to Horse of the Year show on a Fox Hunter horse, that was the pinnacle. Um, so, again, oh. you come in the top two in the finals and qualify for Horse of the Year show and the finals held at Horse of the Year show. So I was lucky enough to compete in that in 2019. There wasn't, they didn't do the real Horse of the Year show last year. Um, yeah, on a super mare. She went, she went two years in a row, actually. So I was very, very lucky to have oh. that opportunity. 
Oh, that's so that yeah. sounds really cool. So basically, you're saying that is it sorry because the UK is smaller than Australia, you can have one single horse of the year show, and everybody from all over the UK qualifies to go to that. Is that right? Oh yes, that's correct. So the horse of the year show is usually held held oh, in cool. is held in October. Yeah. And um, it is the pinnacle mm-hmm. of the year. And it used to be that that would kind of end the the summer season and that was the start of the winter season because it's kind of the first indoor show. Oh. Um, yeah. And, and and that was before that was before they actually had all these other indoor venues. You know, you'd finish off at Horse of the Year show and then everybody would have a break. But now we've got so many yeah. indoor venues that we can continue on throughout the throughout the year, and it's just continuous. We don't actually have like a proper break in the season. Whereas in Australia, do you? Okay, you, you were saying with the event horses um, in England with the event horses, they do have breaks. And the season runs from a certain time to a certain time. But is that the same mm. in Australia for eventing and show jumping? Uh, yeah, they do. So, um, where I am in Melbourne, where it's colder and wetter, we have a break over winter. So currently, um, it's winter. So we probably the last shows are what are we now? We're July. So May. Yeah, they've sort of finished up around definitely around May, and then we'll start up again in August. But in Queensland, where it's quite warm, they go over summer. Sorry, they go over winter because it's too hot over summer for them. So they have a break over the December, January period. So if you're super, super keen, all the southern riders have gone up to Queensland to go and tackle the young horses or get qualified. Um, so obviously at the middle, at the moment, we're all doing the COVID thing. So New South Wales is now um, partly shut down. I'm in Victoria. We've been shut down for five days. It might be some more. So trying to get interstate at the moment is really, really difficult. Um yeah, but generally, so Victorian season will go, um, there'll be a smattering of shows over January, but then it starts up probably, you know, February, March, April, May, and then a winter break, and then August, September, October, November. Um, and then this season, um, well, I think this is the third year running, we've got the Australian Jumping Teams League, which is a takeoff of the Global Champions team. And there's, I think, 11 teams competing with four riders in each team. Yep. And one of those riders has to be an under 25. And the first leg of it was in Queensland about three weeks ago. And unfortunately, I couldn't get up there because we had travel restrictions from Victoria. And for us to get up to Queensland takes about two and a half days. Um, oh, wow. So okay. that's why I was asking you. <laughs> that's why I was asking you about your horse of the year when the whole country gets together for one big show. I suppose we have like the national show jumping championships. Um, but you don't get probably as many people. Like Western Australia is like I think it's a it's a four day trip or something to to get over here. So it's different in that respect. Yes, that is just mental. Yeah, no. If, if we were traveling four days and you could get <laughs> so far, we could get to like the other side of Spain and go all over Europe <laughs> jumping. Whereas our horse year show, I think coming even from the north end of Scotland, okay, maybe you're eight hours, no, maybe a bit more, but um, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. fairly central and people don't travel more than a day <laughs> to get there, that's for sure. So, so what are your horse yeah. boxes like then, or your lorries? <laughs> oh, okay, so we that, we call them we call them trucks over here. So yeah, um, we have horse floats and trucks. Yeah, I do like I call call mine truck as well and a lorry. I mean, I think lorry sounds okay. quite alien to you. 
do like the name track and people do know what it means. But a float, a float, where are you floating to? Why call it a yeah. float? Well, I, I have no idea. So a float is a trailer, I guess. But I must say, we do laugh at your Eiffel Williams trailers because your horses have to have a door at the front. So they walk in forwards and then they need a forwards yep. walking door to get out, whereas ours reverse out. So I must say, when I see an Eiffel Williams trailer in Australia, that's very rare. I have a little chuckle to myself thinking that's because the British horses can't go backwards. British horses, darling, like to walk in one end and out the other. None of this reversing malarkey. (laughs) Well, fair enough. I mean, you know, at least they'll have good rain back. (laughs) So funny. So funny. That's so true. And rug-wise... I remember when I went to, when I've been to the UK and over here because it's basically really hot and we have, you know, quite a bit of UV, um, all the horses, well, my horses, all wear white cotton rugs. And they, the first time I went to the UK and took a horse was like oh, probably 1993 and the horse I had was a dark brown and it had a hood on. So, you know, our cotton hoods and then they have a rug set with a tail bag and the chick that went to feed him at 6 o'clock in the morning in, in the dark, they did the feed run. She said she thought she'd seen a ghost because she's never seen one before in her entire life. <laughs> Sorry. Do you have horses? She was like, what is going on? Oh, my God, that is absolutely hilarious. This, they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we do, we don't really so much. We generally just have to end up bathing the horses all the time. I can't wait to hear what kind of questions people are going to send in to listen, like, that we can answer to about differences in Australia um, and as well, I can't wait yeah. to be interviewing all the exciting people that we've got to come, all our fellow equestrians. Mm-hmm. I know, that would be awesome, won't it? Yeah. Oh, now, breed-wise, so over here, we used to always ride thoroughbreds. So back in the day, it was always thoroughbreds yeah. on the track. And now we've got a, a huge selection of, of, you know, warm blood. So with our eventers, they are, a lot of them have a little bit of thoroughbred in them still. There are still straight thoroughbreds and then thoroughbred warm blood, a bit of Irish, like it's a real smattering. And then we are getting some quite fancy, well-bred show jumpers now that are diffusing in as well as some imports as well. But when I was when I went to the UK, I remember working in a yard and we had everything from ponies to coloured like gypsy cobs. And I remember like really yeah. seeing what a proper, proper hunter looked like, show hunter. And I tell you what, it looks, our show hunters here look like fat show hacks. Whereas over there, can you describe a proper, like a cob? What does a cob look like? A cob, come on, a good gypsy cob, a classic gypsy cob. Mm. Okay, so I'm going Explain to say it's going to be, it's going to be piebald, which is basically marked like a cow. So with brown and white <laughs> splatters, and um, its mane's going to come down past its neckline, and it's going to be wavy. And the same with its tail; its tail can have kind of white and and um, black bits coming through it. And then from the knees going down, I mean, you will have called feathers, but actually it's just loads and loads of hair. So they, they have massive, massive feathers which come over the bottom of the feet. So when they move, it kind of like. I don't know, it's like wearing a big pair of flares, basically. <laughs> um, quite an action as well. So the the gypsy cob, I mean, I think they, it would just, so generally the, the where they've come from is obviously um, from the gypsies. That's why it's named the gypsy cob. But now mm-hmm. in the show classes, 
they um you know they're selling for a lot of money over to america i mean they are they're quite a sought after breed in the showing classes and they're beautiful if you get a classic good gypsy cob i mean they are stunning so you say, i don't know how good they'd be at show well actually i think they're all right at show jumping up to a level maybe maybe they pop around like a 95 you know but um, yeah no i I stick to my warm blood thoroughbred crosses thanks <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know we're starting Just to get a lot around. more of those over here, but I know when I was there, like, there's so many really good native breeds, and it's just stuff that we don't get to see. And your Horse of the Year shows have got all of those classes for all of those breeds, haven't they? Like, there's a huge diversity yeah. of breeds that are featured over there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, there absolutely is. They're breeding a lot more of the thoroughbred back into the show jumpers now because I think it went a lot mm-hmm. more the other way, and they all became quite mm-hmm. heavy and the bred for power. Um, mm-hmm. but that's quite the old school, kind of the German breeding. And now they're putting a lot more blood back into the horses. The tracks are mm-hmm. becoming more technical and faster. So you need a horse that is going to be fast over its fences um, mm-hmm. and have the ability to jump big fences. Um, so it's no good having a horse that just jumps clear around. Now they have to be fast as well. So that's coming back into mm-hmm. the breeding, which is quite happy for me because mm-hmm. I don't know about yourself, but I, I like my horses a little bit of blood. You know, I like them a bit buzzy mm-hmm. and a bit taking me in and a bit game. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's um, the similarity that as two might have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're how tall are you? Because I'm only five foot three. Now you're not very tall either, right? I am five four. I'm taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> my dog, I might have to put my stirrups up for you, oh. but that might that never happens. That never happens. I know. Right? Never comes never. to my yard and get someone. <laughs> yeah same here and it's like I have these kids that I teach and I start teaching them when they're eight and it's inevitable at some point I always have to start and get on and I like them put the strips up for me yeah well I think I think the only reason I decided actually to ride small horses um my ideal size like if you put well I know you're the same if we sit on a horse and someone says that's a really good size for you generally for me it's 14 three okay but um when I when I was sort of like picking and choosing jumping horses like eventers particularly I was like oh no 15 three 16 hands that's a good size I tell you what the smaller they were the stronger they were so that is definitely not a theory that has worked for me um my ideal yeah. size I reckon is 15 three to 16 one but um, I do have the my uh, the World Cup horse I'm riding, Vendy. He's 16-2. But you know what? Today I had to buy him a new rug. So he's gone from 6'6 six six to a 6'9. I think he's like a, a big sausage dog. And um, he's not that tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all his show jumping. I think because he's not like – for those of you that like, didn't know, I have always invented. And since um, – the last 12 months, particularly with Vendy, he's um, much preferring being a show jumper. So I've decided to change my tact and go show jumping. And the difference in the horse's um, condition and, like, yeah, yeah, body shape is starting to become quite apparent. And that's really interesting because I think he's obviously not got longer. Well, I hope he hasn't got longer. Um, he's just no. filled out in his muscle and his top line oh, no. and he's not galloping. So, he's yeah, he's not stripping that off every, you know, twice a year doing a three-day prep. Yeah, absolutely. It's a different type mm. of muscle, isn't it? Rather than having a lean muscle, it then becomes like yep. a powerful, powerful, dense mm. type of muscle. I'm no um, personal yeah. trainer, so I don't, can't remember the name for it. But yeah, absolutely. It's a different, if you look at the, stru- the statue of a horse, of a show jumper in comparison to an event horse, mm. I mean, they can be very, very different. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. Yeah. 
walked yeah. out and, in such a short space yeah. of time. I did event for a couple of years. Um, oh. And uh, when, <laughs> yeah, a few, quite about 10 years ago, I did a couple of years eventing. Really good, obviously, for yeah. my flat work and things like that. But when I took, I remember I took the first horse around. I went clearing the show, jumping, clearing. It was only in a, mm -hmm. like a, a pre-novice. So it wasn't very mm -hmm. big at all. Went to the show jumping, did the cross country, came across, across the cross country line. It's like, wow, we went clear. Like, well done, good horse. The owner came up to me and we're just like, you were going so slow. Like you show jumped your <laughs> whole way around that. I think I had 23 time penalties. I thought I was galloping, <laughs> but no, clearly not. I was just like quietly pushing around, giving it little pats. <laughs> I was show jumped my way around the cross country. I soon learned how to go fast though. Um, but yeah, galloping at those solid fences is something. I thought, you know what, I'd rather jump big fences with poles that knock down. That's fine. But galloping flat mm. out of this uh, fence, I don't know how you do it and what you've achieved is just absolutely incredible. Tiny little pocket rocket you. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know with you? I think it's um, it is really interesting though because now swapping um swapping from one to the other and eventing's all I've known. The more I started show jumping, the more aware I was of um you know where a better distance was taking off like being really confident getting the horses in deeper and during COVID obviously we didn't go cross-country because there were no events so um they show jumped a lot and then within that 12-month period yeah. their jump completely and utterly changed and when I go cross-country schooling I'd feel like it's totally different like when I'm show jumping something I want it to come to the fence. I've got more of a specific distance I want and I'm aiming to get the horse there so it creates a really nice shape over the fence. Whereas cross country, you can be a bit away and you can be a bit close and you're either holding or even sort of shoving them and just letting them jump a little bit flat. And so it, it's become really apparent how when you're asking the horse two different things, it's really hard to resurrect them from that long jumping sort of go from here, go from there, not necessarily very smooth. And, you know, cross country, um, you can trot yeah. a fence or you can gallop a fence. So you, it's such a – I can't show you on the screen. Yeah. It's such a wide variety of, of paces that you approach a fence from. Whereas show jumping, it's like, you know, you go sort of at this speed to that speed. So they stay basically similar speed, similar That's jump style. And so it, it, I find it actually um, – it's nice to ride a horse and do one thing on it that it's designed to do and be really good at that because it's actually quite difficult yeah. to take a horse that's got to do three different things and you're pulling it in different directions going short dressage horse, big brave long eventer, then short compact and just show jumping horse. So it's so different how, um, you know, and galloping at a fence when it's a little bit smaller and you can do any distance you want is actually kind of easy in a way but when you're jumping a meter 60 and believe me that's here um you know yeah. it's one jumping style one style <laughs> of distance it's kind of good but then it's big it's so big <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got to be accurate when you can't galloping cantering no defense is that big that's for sure you don't want to be in a deep one or a mm. long one you want to be in the place because <laughs> i suppose when showing at its highest level i mean it's like a a high jumper, for example, like a high jumper athlete, which will jump the biggest fence it can. And they'll only, but we're asking the horse to do what 12 efforts of doing that. So, um, whereas I suppose if you put it like a hurdler, like an athlete that's going to go, or a, yeah, a hurdler, which will just gallop and jump and gallop and jump and gallop and jump. Um, so you're putting so much 
pressure on the horse to make sure it's at the top of its ability using itself over these fences. So that's all you're trying to train from a young age for them is to use that shape mm. every time so that when they go up the ranks and they are asked to jump bigger, they've already developed the muscles across the back and already developed mm. that shape that they make so that they can maximise the power off the ground to jump the biggest fences possible. You know, some of the widths mm. on these mm. fences you can't certainly can't touch from hand to hand or the same mm. sort of venting. Mm. Um, as big as they are wide or wider than they are big uh, but the pole's knocked down so you know the horses have mm. to be careful and they have to respect the fences um, mm. no it's incredible that you know we're so lucky to be doing a sport with these incredible animals that you know you build a bond with and they just try their heart, heart out for you and that's what it is riding these animals and working with these horses you know it's not it's not just a job it's a lifestyle choice and um, yeah, I just feel very privileged and lucky every day that we get to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I must say, like like you, so we get up every day and um, we've got a purpose. And I love uh, working with the animals and and having goals to reach with them. Um, and it's nice too because we don't have to be that young uh, to do it. We could do it our whole life. Uh, we've got Andrew Hoy and Mary Hannah who are going to the games. And Mary's 66 and Andrew is uh-huh. he's in his 60s and he's going to his eighth games. So I'm really hoping wow. I'd love to be able to go for show jumping. I reckon imagine if you go for show jumping and then I go for show jumping and we're both at the same Olympics. Oh, my God. That would just be the dream. The dream. I'm going to put it on my video yeah. board now. And stop. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Yeah, we'll do wait. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do this. Yeah. Do this. But we are really lucky because, I yeah, mean, if awesome. we had been in, uh, like, football, football, for example, they, you know, well, pretty much every type of athletic sport, your body gives up a long way before. Mm. But actually with the questions, you know, we're still learning and we're still and actually, a lot of people peak a lot later in the sport because it's not only yeah. um, the riding aspect of it. It's the horses that you take time to produce and it's relationships with people around you that help support, mm. you know, it's not just me and the horse. It's not just you and the horse. We've got our team and we've mm. got our network and we've mm. got our grooms and we've got our owners. And, you know, that takes a long time to build up. It doesn't just happen, mm. um, especially, you know, with you're not necessarily from an equestrian background. It's something you have to work Mm. hard at. And people tend to give you opportunities when they see the passion in you and they see how hard you work. And, you know, I've been very lucky and blessed to be given opportunities because of that. And I'm sure you feel exactly the same. Thanks for your time in England. Um, How was the weather when you came over that Mm -hmm. time? Mm -hmm. Actually, it was really quite nice and it was humid. So that was the one thing I noticed. I stayed in Wiltshire with an Australian girl who's been living in the UK for ages and she had a yard there. So it was really great because um, I came over there and she knew all the questions I would ask. She knew exactly the type of place I'd come from and um, it was very easy. She knew I'd want the horse turned out. We'd already exchanged lots of emails and so she was amazing um, staying with her. One thing I do love, and I really miss this, is the hacking out in the UK is incredible. And around Wiltshire, where I was, they have heaps of um, racing yards. And so there are gallops. So for Australians that don't know, a gallop is like a purpose-built bit of grass that someone has stuck all through fields. And it's, it's unbelievable. They're absolutely everywhere. And you can just go for ages and find little short, steep gallops everywhere. Oh, my God, I could be out there for days it's just so much oh. fun 
We are. Wiltshire's just down the road, so it's quite um, similar land to to Gloucester, where I'm from. Mm. And yeah, that's one thing is our hacking mm. is incredible. Like everything from like little lanes mm. with really good hills, which is like so important for the variety of work for the horses, even for the jumpers of the one discipline mm. that we, you know, we make sure they have the variety of work. We work them on um, grass. I'll even take them up to the there's a like a polo field, and they let me go and school the horses up there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do trotting up lanes we do you know a bit of work in the arena I mean our typical week is always a bit of variety mm-hmm. I'm also very lucky that we have someone with the water treadmill just down the road so the horses will go there once a week ah. um mm-hmm. I mean is that the same as you well, obviously with the eventing you do have quite a variety of work I mean what do your, your typical horses week look like mm. do you take a lot of time do they spend yeah. a lot of time in the arena schooling or do yeah tell me well, I was actually just about to ask you what you do with your jumpers compared to what we do. So with the eventing, oh, my God, it's um, it's really funny. Now I've stepped back from the eventing, I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's really, really um, stringent. Like you've got to stick to your program. So um, what my program used to be was Monday day off, and it still works out like that because most of the time you've had the weekend away at a show. So Monday, like today's Monday, I've had my day off from the horses, but it basically means I run around doing appointments and picking things up and you know just doing general human things and I'm actually wearing jeans and proper human shoes as well so it's really weird anyway um and then (laughs) and then Tuesday would be um a flat work day then Wednesday would be a show jumping day and depending if I'd gone to an eventing competition on the weekend or not often my coach my show jumping coach would come and we do lessons um on a Wednesday Thursday would be a fitness work day and then I start the cycle again. So it would be uh, Friday, flat, Saturday. It might be a show jump or it might be I might need to do an extra flat work. I might want to do some pole work or, you know, grid work or something. And then Sunday will be the fitness work day. So when you're going to an eventing competition, you know, usually say dressage and maybe show jumping might be Saturday and then Sunday was cross country. So having that rotating schedule worked quite well. Yeah. And then I'm still trying to figure out my my jumpers schedule because um, at the moment, and let's take out, you know, COVID and the weather and stuff, I think yeah. um, they definitely have to get out and do at least one day on the hills doing fitness work, getting out and just, um, you know, getting off the flat surface because it's, it's pretty flat at home. So, um, yeah. and then I don't know how many days, probably jump them once or twice a week, I think. So they're probably five to six days of work. What about you? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting how um, regimented your eventing one was. And I do remember mm-hmm. when I did a bit of eventing, it was, it was fairly similar. But, you know, it's very, you know, we do this this day, we do this, and then we do this, and the horses. Because mm-hmm. then you know, make sure, I suppose, that they're all getting the rounded um, amount of work that they need to be competing at the level that mm-hmm. you are competing eventing. Yeah. Um, so with the jumpers, I've got, you know, we have a range. Because we've got, like, four-year-olds up to grade eight, like Grand Prix horses, then it completely ranges um, throughout what they do within a week. Um, I would say it, I generally work backwards for the shows. So if I've got mm-hmm. a big show coming up, you know, I'll work out where they're going to go for a little show before then. And make generally the day before a show depends on temperament. There's so many variables. Ah. Say if I've got a mm-hmm. uh, one that's well trained and already knows what she's doing, like a, one of the great A's. Mm-hmm. Then the day before a show would actually generally be a quieter day, you know, just a little bit of flat mm-hmm. work, a little bit of yoga in the arena, you mm-hmm. know, get them stretching, get 
moving. Um, and then two days before that, they they might have a jump, maybe just do some cavaletti fences. I I don't jump really over probably a meter twenty at home. Um, mm-hmm. The horses don't need to school over anything any bigger. And the young mm-hmm. horses, obviously, they won't school over anything probably like around a meter or something. But I do a lot of hacking with my horses because I find mm-hmm. you know the hacking's really really good for the brain. Um, they get the variety of surfaces, they get to go up the lanes, they get to go on the grass, mm-hmm. which is all good for the joints, the mobility to make sure that you're going to have mm-hmm. the longevity in the horse's joints. Um, and you can do a lot at hacking. You can do all your bending and your flexing and your leg yielding. Um, they will also do a, a pole work session. I, I love my raised poles. Raised poles, so many benefits. You know, the horses learn where to put the feet. They learn how to be a little bit active um, mm-hmm. look after themselves a little bit more. It also mm-hmm. does the same um, benefits as having them at the water treadmill. They have that action of using their hocks, using their feet. But um, the pole work yeah. for the young horses is great. And cavalettis, I often set up like little corset fences and cavalettis with yeah. some bounces and stuff and mm-hmm. practice rhythm and straightness. Um, then after a show, they'll have a day off after a show, get out in the paddock. Um, if the weather's terrible, say if it's chucking it down all day, then they'll have to just go on the walker a couple of times a day. I mean, the horses always mm-hmm. get out the stables at mm-hmm. least twice a day. So it might be walker and ridden yeah. or it might be field and ridden. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because obviously the more they can get out and be horses, the better. They'll have yeah. the day off after a show and then it will start again. We'll generally go for a hack the following day after that and then the schoolwork. If I have something mm-hmm. that is a little bit, you know, need more time in the arena, then yeah, it might do a few more days in the arena in a row. Um, mm-hmm. But if I don't have to, I'll, I'm happy. It's something I can work work out outside of the arena, mm-hmm. then I will do that. Um, but again, talking about your network and the people that you know, I mean, everybody in our industry, it was, I'm, I always feel so lucky because everyone's so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. I've, you know, when I first started out, I didn't know a lot of people, but you make a phone call. People always want to help. I've, you know, we've got friends now down the road. I can go and use their arenas if I need to go somewhere slightly different and vice versa. They might bring me up and they come and use my arena. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an industry where people know how tough it is. And and um, to be able to call on friends and call on part of uh, your network is just um, it's just great, isn't it? It's keeping the morale up, especially in the hard times, which with the horses, you know, there's lots of highs and lows. Yeah, definitely. I know at the moment, particularly when we haven't got any competitions on, that I sort of, you know, really miss catching up with all the all your friends or all my mates that are at at um, the show dreaming shows. So, um, yeah, riding around in circles on your own all day does get really monotonous. Um, so I think the minute we get and the minute you can go out to a show, you feel like you've got a goal and a purpose, and it doesn't have to be to go out and win. It just means like I'm riding a friend of mine's young horse at the moment, and we last night decided that she was going to be ready to go and do the 60 and 70 centimetres at Bonio Park in two weeks and then another week after that, and I'm pumped. <laughs> now you've got a goal with that horse, you know. Now you're yeah. like, yes, yep. we're ready to go do something. I do love with show yeah. jumpers that you can literally go every weekend and do yeah. two, as long as you're not travelling too much in between. I think if it's local shows, you can go yeah. every weekend. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And especially, like, we're so lucky here in the UK because shows run pretty much every day. So, but and I you've mean, got, I call them yeah, midweek shows. shows. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much like the way you click on um, 
Um, here we've got a lovely place called Rectory Farm Arena, which is just down the road. I've heard of that. Ten minutes in my car. Yeah, right. Have you? Oh. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's yes. Lovely, lovely. Venue. Um, so I'll go there every Thursday with the young horses and I'll mix that up with maybe oh. a Solihull or, or a Prestige Equestrian. So they get a couple of small venues that we go to midweek and then like oh. the bigger jumping horses, we have their shows day at the weekend or and we just kind of mix it up. I mean, I've when, when all my horses at the moment, I've got a couple injured, but when they're um, all fully up together, I've probably got nine competing. Mm-hmm. So I have to split them into two lots and I have to take the oh, younger ones yeah. maybe midweek and the later because otherwise you'll be there all day jumping baby classes all the way through to like the big classes that's what we do so your midweek shows sound amazing so you can take your young ones out and then every week give them an outing somewhere is that right like during the week that sounds awesome yeah totally so we're not there's no lacking of shows whatsoever since covid especially it's become so busy everybody wants to go to the shows and luckily the shows are trying to really cater for that too so they're putting on more shows but i mean that's really great that our sport is still surviving throughout all of this too is and it is great to be able to get out and you know compete and get the horses out and see everyone and you know it's a great way to get together with everybody as well especially with the young ones like just to go and be able to do that midweek would be awesome fun Oh yeah, we're so we're so lucky. Well, do you think that we should, we have chatted for quite some time? And I know this is going to be an ongoing thing. You and I are going to have to like be able to be told when to wind things up because we could chat for hours. Um, but we <laughs> have to. You know, we should sort of mention to everybody that we um, would love everyone to send in questions, anything that they would love to hear from, you know, from Bex and I to send in questions, ask whatever you would like because there's so many differences and, and similarities between what we do on the different ends of the continents. Um, what do you reckon? It's going to be so great. I'm so excited mm. about the coming episodes. I mean, we're going to have so much to cover because we've got uh, my fellow UK riders and specialists from over here that we're going to get in mm-hmm. and we're going to interview and we're going to talk to mm-hmm. and we're going to share loads of knowledge and tips from your side of the world and my side of the world. So, yeah, we've got so much to cover. I'm so excited. So, yeah, send in your questions and um, these podcasts are going to be just full of knowledge. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks. <laughs> thanks, Bex, for sharing all of your time. And I know it's like early, it's probably ready for you to go out and uh, do some horsey stuff with your T-shirt on and I'll uh, go and end my day in the dark and go and finish feeding up and stuff. But, um, yeah, so next time, uh, basically, this, this has been the Equestrian Experience with myself, Amanda Ross, and my co-host, Bex Mason. And um, anyone that wants to send in your questions for our up-and-coming episodes, you can enter our competitions and access all of our other stuff. Be sure to visit our presenting sponsor, Bates Saddles, at batesaddles.com. And you can follow Bex. Now, you're Bex Mason. No, is it Bex Mason Show Jumping, SJ? Bex Mason, SJ? Yeah, I'm Bex Mason, SJ. Excellent. And I'm Amanda Ross, Equestrian. So um, it's been absolutely fantastic, Bex, and um, have a great equestrian experience and we will see you in the next episode. I can't wait to speak to you in the next episode, Amanda. Until next time. Sounds awesome. Speak soon. Righto. See ya. Bye.